I think it's precisely that kind of uh, human activity that refused specialization. Uh, many other pract uh, human uh, practices have specialized, uh, but, but this is where we are still allowed to be, to be just a full person. And, and this is the kind of space that every culture still maintains for some members, lucky members uh, like us, right, to act as if we are free. I don't think we can be free, but we are allowed to act as if we are free of other concerns. I don't think we are, to be frank, right? There's always a entanglement with other aspects. But, but um, so, so I think in the sense there is an aspect of responsibility that, that we have as artists. We are in a form, we are in a sense uh, super lucky and of course, what's the, the French word, artiste maudit, like uh, cursed by, by this uh, freedom, because yeah, freedom is harrowing. Nobody wants freedom. Everybody wants to know what to do. They want to know what to feel, what to desire, right? Part of what art does is telling one what to desire, right? And then fulfilling or not, playing with that desire in the work itself, right? Um, so, um, yeah, in that sense, that freedom is also a burden. Welcome to the Art and Life podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. I just want to say thank you to you, the listener, for being here. This podcast is intended to encourage, inspire, and entertain. The guests of this podcast are digging deep and putting it all out there. And without you on the listening end, it would not be the same. So if you like what you hear, hit subscribe and share it with someone you think might be into it. Now. On to the good stuff. Welcome everybody to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and with me today is a very, very special guest. Uh, this person has a, had a major impact in my life, and I'm really happy to have him on the podcast. So today we've got uh, Marius Lahini. He's an art professor at Colorado State University. He's a Romanian-born artist living and working in Fort Collins, Colorado. So 
Marius, thanks for being on thanks the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for the kind words. <laughs> Undeserved. No, no, definitely deserved. Um, yeah, you were my professor for four, five semesters, something like that. Yeah. A trip to Italy. Yeah. You're already famous on the podcast. I've already talked about you many times. <laughs> hope you said something good. <laughs> One or two things. Um, so why don't we just start with uh, the main question of what are you most interested in in your work right now? Uh, that which happens without my intending it uh, to be to be brief, uh, things that happen kind of in the in the corner of the eye. So not um, not so much. Yeah, I don't know how to put it. I'm not interested in plot as much as I used to be interested in uh, in in um, in the aspect of language, things that can be said narratively, linguistically, about the work or the process and much more interested in what happens, uh, I want to say by the by, but it's not really uh, uh, accidental. It's, it's uh, things that happen that are not um, easily showing themselves as uh, figures against the background, but that are maybe part of the background, maybe. And, and hopefully if we say more things throughout the next hour, that, that will get clarified. <laughs> but that's about how clear it is to me as well. So if this was unclear, uh, it's unclear to me as well, yeah. Well, like in, in your work, and so, you and I have been hanging out for the last like three or four hours. Mm. I went to your studio. I we said out. everything we were. We already say. said all the whole podcast, so <laughs> <laughs> now we're just doubling over. But um, no, like, and I was looking at your work online recently, and just kind of going through all of it and studying and seeing what what people have said on your website, and and a lot of what you're doing, it seems like, is you're overlaying imagery, and then I would imagine that that sort of like that sort of resonant frequency that maybe you're talking about is where the overlapping happens and so then you get these like interesting yeah. little magic spots well I like how you are describing it uh, because uh, yes it's not necessarily the the image the individual image and images are stories right except the language is not it's visual language right uh, it's not the images alone that interest me it's what happens between them how they uh, resonate with one another or interfere with one another and there's always one that's more easily or how do I put it one that dominates and another one that's um, maybe receding until you notice it and then it's the receding one that uh, flips and and so uh, it's those aspects that interest me and uh, uh, you were in my studio this uh, this afternoon um, and then what happens with the way matter sits in general on the canvas in my case but I'm assuming that uh, for some of you that would be different media but um, uh, that that interests me and ultimately the media interests me to the extent to which is always in relationship to the ultimate medium I feel of art which is the body right and and that's that's a big kind of background of concern 
uh, for me. It's not, it's not something that comes up thematically in my work, but it's always a background of, of concern. Our relationship with technology, right? And, and um, it's, we, we are here in the room several generations, uh, and we have a very different relationship to technology. And, and I thought that my generation was super tuned into technology, uh, but it turns out that there is way more possible and, and to the point where my 15-year-old is uh, completely, his, his uh, perception of the world is uh, completely tied in with, with technology. Yeah. The joke being that, you know, like he's, he's pointing to an elephant when he first saw an elephant, which he actually did because of family travel to India, right? He was calling it Dumbo, right? Oh, that's a Dumbo, right? The, the, the character from some sort of uh, animation. So, so world has become parasitic to our technological engagement, not, not, not. so that's, that's something that, uh, yeah. It's, it's not a feature, something that I focus on, but it's always in the background of, of uh, what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, like someone writing about your work was talking about just the juxtaposition of the two positions that you have. Uh, and I, I mean, you can see it visually with, with the pairing of imagery, but then also the two worlds coming together, and then you are literally you know, from another part of the world and then you live here. Yeah. And, and so there's like always this juxtaposition and then where things connect in between. Yeah, and that's already a simplification in a sense because, yeah, I am Romanian born and educated, so that's one world that I never stopped inhabiting, right? And then there is my, I don't know, now, I think I've been in the States for... 25 years already, so, you know, th this is pretty familiar to me. And then I spend a lot of time in India because of my wife's family, so that's another dimension. Um, but then, so these are all worlds that have slightly different rules, right, slightly different, you know, um, things are featured in each culture, certain things are important, other things are not so important, and they vary between these. But then I think that uh, those worlds multiply here, because there is there's the world of academia, and, and uh, uh, we, I feel like, uh, the, you know, we adapt to that, and then there's the world of, I don't know, maybe family uh, relations, and there's the, the world of, uh, uh, painting that I'm engaged with and I don't know the world of maybe uh, I don't know critical philosophical literary concerns so those are all slightly different worlds and I think they um, they operate differently and yes uh, what interests me is how how we are all uh, and I, I myself right uh, caught in between right and and things are Things are interesting in their interference with one another, uh, but um, it's never simple, I guess, for, for any of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah, like we were talking at lunch about uh, the intersection for you of being an art professor and then also a practicing artist. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to talk about that a little bit, about how they influence sure. each other and sort of overlap and interfere? Yeah, um, 
I, I don't think that. Spot, yeah, right? yeah, I guess so. <laughs> because I don't see them as uh, distinct. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I need to qualify what I just said. I mean, the, these words we can name them with different words, but they are actually uh, the, uh, at the level of experience they are a continuum, right? Concepts split the world into into categories that are somewhat crisp and clear. So, and that's. The, the level of language is where contradictions occur. Um, but at the level of experience, things are continuous. So between my everyday life and my studio, there's a continuum, right? And, and they influence one another. So the images you saw that I'm using, they, th th those are images that, that came up in my day-to-day uh, experience. Uh, and then they make their way into, into work. I think, I think the two are... Uh, I think inevitably uh, uh, related. I don't think you can separate um, uh, experience in general from the experience uh, of making something in the studio. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't teach art, but I would imagine that each of your art students, it, there's a relationship with you and them and their art. And yes. then from there, I would imagine that you're working through challenges through the students that they're working on. You're working on them on it with them as sort of like a coach, an instructor, a teacher, a philosopher, you know. And and then you're and then you're working on those, and then you can like almost bring them back to your work, and maybe that comes out in little bits. Maybe, but I hope that I do a good job at lending my own sensibility and experience to their efforts, right? So, so in my work with the students, I try to do that. So, uh, the uh, the teaching that I'm that I'm trying to enact, right? Uh, and it's probably progressively more so towards the higher level of uh, of the courses we teach here. Is, is more uh, a form of lending my experience and whatever knowledge and sensibility to the projects of the individual students. In the beginning, there are obviously the, the 100 level, 200 level courses sometimes require us to uh, be more uh, specific to a curriculum. So, so we do impose, or I do impose certain parameters, but those parameters lift in my upper level courses and the students bring their own project but then of course uh, those still need uh, <coughs> uh, some sort of a feedback process uh, and they need uh, skills like uh, we have soccer in common uh, Taylor and I he's uh, he played soccer I played soccer uh, so um, maybe a soccer analogy would, would work right um, in order for them to play the game well, uh, the skills need to be there. Yeah. And then the creativity can express itself, right? Just like on the soccer field, he, uh, you, you have to have the skills to, to, to become creative as a, as a player. So, so we, we are working at that balance with, with the advanced students of still bringing the skills up, but then um, uh, uh, cultivating an atmosphere into which those skills are there to tapped into kind of uh, without conscious uh, thinking, they are already there, and they can focus on the on the work and on what 
kind of mood and uh, uh, what they're trying to achieve rather than worry about uh, the skills. And that's constantly a, a struggle. As, as you know, probably it never stops even when, when formal education in art stops, right? I don't yeah. know if I make sense. No, that makes total sense. And like uh, in soccer or in sports, you never want to stop practicing the, the basics. basics. Exactly. You want to continue, or because if you don't, then you'll be in the big game where the ball's coming across to you, and you just like forget what you're doing, and ball bounces the wrong way. Um, yeah, and so in that way, drawing is. Uh, I mean, how do you feel about drawing? Like, some people don't care about drawing too much in terms of the arts, and then other people love it. Uh, well, I I do think that. Um, Drawing is the closest to the the most direct and uh, e media not mediated form of expression. It's easy. It's accessible, right? So in in that sense, uh, I I do think that is is important, and I don't think its importance has uh, been challenged, right? You know, painting has been called dead uh, multiple times, and so on. Uh, drawing has never been uh, challenged in, in that way because uh, whether you're a conceptual artist or, or a very traditional um, French academist, uh, uh, drawing is a, is a, is a common thing. Um, so yeah, and in that sense I feel privileged to, to be teaching drawing because uh, I do think that it's very, very important. I practice a lot of painting in my studio, but, but drawing and painting have always been kind of uh, one dialectical unit uh, for for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I totally agree. Do you do do you draw regularly or is it? Yeah. 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 Not always at a big scale, at the same scale at which I paint, but and not always in the same form, right? Sometimes, uh, sometimes I diagram rather than sketch, right? Or or. Um, uh, yeah, but, but drawing plays both a kind of intuitive, speculative role for me, as well as an engineering role, so using it to solve problems, right? So it, 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 can, do, it can do both. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so direct. It's like, I've been doing these five-minute-a-day drawings, and it's great because I can, in five minutes, you can't really like render something that much, but you can at least get the idea, you can get a concept out, and sort of get, yeah, like a conceptually rich piece quickly. Yeah, yeah. And it's also studio habits, right? Uh, I don't know what other people do when they get into the studio, but I, I, I do some drawing to not, not even uh, thinking about anything else, just do something to get myself tuned in for whatever maybe, whatever the rest of the day has for me, right? Um, and, and by that, I also don't mean that drawing is always preliminary, because sometimes it's, it's drawing that's the result of struggles that I have in painting. So I, I, I try painting, it doesn't work in the form of painting, but then it works, it works as a drawing. So it's, it's, it's a, yeah, like, like I said, more of a dialectical couple, right? Uh, you can think of one, separate from the other, but they're they are also uh, tangled. Yeah. 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 Love it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like teaching in Italy? Uh, 
Oh yes, so uh, we should we should fill in the background a little bit. Uh, I got to meet Taylor really well during a semester study abroad. Uh, we won't tell them how far back that that happened because we date. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but um, and and we had we we still remember uh, that we were a group of. 13 students, yep. we remember the name of 12 of them, yeah. uh, and, and we're going to feel so guilty for that. I know, I know, 13th, uh, <laughs> the 13th. Uh, uh, so in that, uh, in that semester, um, we really, and it was my first semester of study abroad, and it was one good year into my teaching, so um, it was probably as transformative for me as it was for the students. But um, uh, yeah, I feel that teaching, in, in teaching abroad was, um, taught me something about the importance of um, being in a place where you don't take for granted uh, communication, including visual communication. Right? So, so um, uh, one becomes more tuned in to how all of that functions. And it's not just communication in this trivial sense of words and so on, but everything that signals uh, behavior, uh, habits, customs, uh, right? Um, all, all of it is, is a little bit different, and as a, as a result, you are more tuned into it. And I think for an artist, that is, that is essential. Right. Um, I think that in, in, in a sense, if, if you have something or we as artists have something to do or say in the form of art, it's because we are not absolutely congruent with the current situation. We have something, some sort of a pain, uh, or as they say in, in <coughs> my native language, we have an extra tooth in our mouth for something in culture that we either like a lot or dislike, or we have strong feelings vis-a-vis. -vis. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I do feel that those uh, things become relieved clearer when you are in a different culture, especially if you don't know the language. Right? And, and most of the students were studying a little bit of Italian, but they were not already familiar with the language. So, um, uh, and, and I think it served well that generation because because from that group of thirteen, I know I know we know a number of them, including Taylor, who are still making art today. Some of them are art historians, uh, some of them are studio artists, but they are all um, they are all still uh, active. Maybe not all. Uh, the thirteenth one, we are not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I like what you're saying there uh, uh, about the alignment of being an artist in a study abroad program because you're you're sort of outside of a normal culture and it's it's neat when you go to another culture where you don't understand the language um, everything really does stand out to you like yeah. the, the billboards things like the intention behind an advertisement becomes yeah. so clear to you because you're, the word you don't see the words anymore you're like wow that's direct yeah. you know because the imagery and and as an artist, uh, we're always, it's, you know, either visual or tactile or whatever kind of art you're doing, um, you're like, you're just so keyed into that. And then, like you said, as artists, we're all, we're, we're not like a, 
a normal fixture in society. We don't fit into like a capitalist model exactly right. It's almost like a, a square peg in a round hole. And so then on a study abroad trip or somewhere in another language, like that stands out yeah. more. Not that the study abroad is not totally inscribed in the cycle of capitalism since, since uh, students have to pay extra to go <laughs> abroad, right? Uh, some of them you know, get extra money from their parents, others have to take extra jobs just to make it possible, right? So it is, but yeah, at, at, at the same time, yeah, you're trying to, I, I don't know how to say it, but, or you are already um, out of phase with what's happening around you, right? Yeah. Nietzsche was uh, saying that, that the contemporary is the untimely, meaning that the, the contemporary is either ahead of her time or behind, uh, right? But, but uh, that definitely not, con not exactly uh, jiving <laughs> with the current situation. And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's important. And I, actually, I think that's important uh, specifically for, for the students in, in, in school right now, especially in art, that um, the education system is also an, a, a system of inculcation of habits. Right of of you know uh, this is how you do certain things and and this is how you adjust to a current situation. But at some level, as an artist, you also kind of want to be misadjusted or misadjusting as a continuous process. Um, um, and 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 I think that's hard to teach um, in a in an explicit way, especially when when functioning in in a structure. In an institutional structure, right, like the, like the university, which, um, uh, yeah, I joke with my students. So some of you have heard this before, right? That um, in one way or another, we are institutionalized. We're, we're inmates, you know. <laughs> maybe maybe split into roles of guardians and inmates, but but so so you need to free yourself from that uh, in in one way or another to, to become an artist. And I think that's a, a way of being out of phase with with what's going. That out of phase doesn't have to be um, uh, how should I put it, F uh, frictional or or um, aggressive. It's um, it it needs to be cultivated like uh, I don't know like a precious plant of some yeah. sort. <laughs> yeah, like a healthy balance. Yeah. And like you were, I mean, from a teacher's perspective, I would imagine like you want your students to be following what you say, but you also kind of want them to go against it. Or to go beyond to, it to or go right like through it, right? Because, it because every assignment is, in, in a sense, the, any requirement lives an infinity of, of uh, options that are not prescribed. Right, so it's it's kind of a um, what do you call it? Like in a in a running race, it's the starting line. Yeah. It, except this is not a regular race. It's more like the Monty Python soccer game, right? Where as soon as the game starts, they all go in different directions. They do different things. You know, it's like it's it's the, the game is being decided as we play it. Yeah. And it's a constantly changing game. So you can go with an assignment and yeah, yeah. I think that's that's where we wanna end up, right? To um, to I don't know to a place where the possibility of form remains open, even though there may be assignments and so on. But but to be frank, like in our upper level courses there are no assignments other than what the student brings. Um, as well. So, so that things open up kind of naturally, I hope, I hope.
<laughs> I think a lot depends on, yeah, uh, the recognition of the fact that this is one way of structuring human relations, right? Teacher, student, and so on. But but ultimately, uh, what obsesses all of us is this very strange practice that humans engage in in every culture, which we refer to as art, which is not stable. We don't know what it is, right? We don't know what it is. We, if, if you could describe it in pre precise terms, then you would know how to achieve it, but it's, it's shifting, partly because I agree with, with Joseph Boyce, right, that it's, it's a social circuit. It's a way of closing a circuit. If you imagine, I don't know, an electrical circuit, right? It's a constant looping and closing a circuit and it's not always working. I wonder if today art has any wide circuit in, in society at all, right? Or whether we make art for other artists, we write poems for other poets, you know, I, sometimes I wonder, right? I'm gonna leave it on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, who's connected to who and what's connected to what and where? Yeah, but I, what I'm trying to say is that we are connected precisely with people who are always already there, right? Painters without a you know, artists without artists, and 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 uh, I don't think I think the culture at large has gotten used to being entertained by culture, right? Uh, this is the Adorno uh, critique of the culture industry that even culture has allowed itself to be turned into an industry. So now it's consumed like a like a mass-produced good, or maybe like some luxury good, right? Uh, but and clearly that dimension of art exists, that art is looked upon as a luxury good of some sort, merchandise or whatever, but it's also a social circuit. And, and I think it's that aspect of it that's lacking or maybe uh, it's pressing on us now, right? That, that's uh, not the luxury good, but the, uh, the social circuit aspect of it. And, and I think in that sense, I'm not uh, uh, against the recent trend of uh, socially engaged art, which uh, seems to be uh, uh, peaking everywhere. I don't know, maybe it's past peak. No, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to tell. In the moment. It's easy to see retroactively. Right. As, as with all phenomena. <laughs> right. Because as, as it's happening, it's happening everywhere all at the same time, and it's like... You yeah. can't even really tell. And it's not separated from the background yet. It's, it's part of the background. It's not become a figure. It's only a figure when you have a distance from it. And then, yeah. But when you're in the middle of it, you have no perspective on it. Right. Yeah. So, and, and, yeah. And, and there's always certain phenomena that are like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this is great. You guys having fun? <laughs> this is awesome. Oh, I'm not. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm still nervous. You still nervous? <laughs> I'm a little nervous too, still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so now at this point, we're going to go into the question section. There's four questions that I ask everybody, uh, and I change the questions every year. So you're getting the season four questions. So that I cannot prepare for them, right? I want to keep you yeah. on your toes. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, question one is uh, What is a challenge that you've had to face in your work and/or life? No, what's not a challenge? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I guess the, the 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 big adjustment that I'm still kind of struggling with is is this um, uh, relationship between my teaching and and my practice. Right? It's it's not only uh, that shift in um, kind of role, right? Where um, here on campus I am lending my experience and sensibility to the projects of the students, and it's their work that's uh, being discussed and so on. Th today is an exception, uh, right? But but you know, uh, Taylor wanted uh, to have uh, artwork of mine in the room and so on, and and uh, yeah, I refuse that partly because I think in this environment the focus should be their work, right? So moving from that to my uh, to my studio, sometimes um, yeah the the emotional nervous energy, but even the aspects of memory and imagination, right? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's not easy to flip quickly to something else, right? So um, I feel lucky when I have entire days for my studio because then I can tune in to that and then get to some sort of uh, cruising altitude, uh, no pun intended. Uh, um, and, and, and do some some good work, but it's very it's it's otherwise hard to do studio work in between things because that practice takes kind of tuning in and uh, um, uh, getting to uh, to a good place. You have to get through the layers. Uh, even you have to get through the mediocre work, the work that you have to do to get to the good work, which yep. leaves the studio or you know gets into the wider world right not I hope uh, that this is not just my case that, that not everything that we do leaves the studio yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah maybe that's uh, you can press me on it if you want that's no, one that, of the challenges um, because I feel that with with personal life things are always in balance but that's a more organic uh, constantly while, while uh, uh, especially in the American culture the aspect of job and identity uh, that you receive from your role in a formal professional environment is way stronger for example you know the Italian uh, context right you you know that you cannot ask an Italian I don't know about Spaniards uh, or, or to, to do their job because they uh, they will revolt right uh, it's uh, uh, if you ask them, if you ask an Italian on a job to do you a favor, they will go way beyond the job to do it. But but their relationship to and, and I actually applaud that their relationship to work is one that's a, a smaller aspect of life in general. So so a personal uh, relation and is is more important than than uh, this. Uh, perfunctory role that you take for part of the day, which is associated with you making a living, uh, survival concerns, right? That's, that's kind of, and we are trying to bypass those survival concerns when we make art, right? It's, uh, it's not something that we do because we have to, it's something that we do because we have something to say or do or make or an experience to, to kind of uh, share in some form or another. Right? So, um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right, great answer. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Question two is: Where would you like to see things be in five years from now? Oh man, 
This is like a job interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I can answer it not where I want to be, where I want things to be. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, thinking again of the background of technology that we are not just surrounded by, but we are uh, kind of almost operated by, right? So I wish that uh, something, something that something along the lines of what happened, say, with the automobile. When the automobile was first introduced, it was great. Everyone loved it. It can, it can get you. But then immediately people realized that there have to be some sort of uh, not regulation, but some sort of systematization of that because there's a, uh, positive aspects and, and negative aspects uh, of, of uh, speeding out uh, everywhere, right? And I think something like that has to happen with technology where our, we need to develop some sort of a pharmacology, right? To where uh, the doses into which we allow it to control and, and dominate and, and maybe seduce, uh, um, they have to be dosed the dosage has to be right because I feel that uh, uh, right now it's uh, it's almost always the case uh, since you brought up capitalism I did not do that uh, <laughs> it's it's entirely subservient to the economic system where where um, money concern dominate all the other uh, aspects of judgment things are judged first and foremost in those terms and I have a beef with that and not uh, holistically, uh, uh, like any economic issues after all, uh, an issue of, I don't know, politics, an issue of history, an issue of human relations, an issue of society, and, right? and, but things are not decided like that. It's the, it's the, the money, economic thing that uh, decides how decisions flow in all these other aspects of life, and I think as a trained economist, that's not right. That's not uh, how things should be. Um, and, and I do think that art has a role in changing things. It does so very mildly because it doesn't change anything at the level of, I don't know, policy, big conscious change, but it changes sensibilities, right? It changes, uh, um, um, yeah. I guess that's the simplest way to put it. It changes uh, sensibility, and that shift in sensibility can lead to something else. I don't know. Obviously, technology changes much faster than art nowadays. You, we have to give it to it. It has totally, you know, the beginning of the 20th century, the effervescence of the avant-garde uh, created this, uh, at least in cultural fields, the illusion that um, in, in art things change way faster and, and artists are ahead of the curve. I don't think we are ahead of the curve. I think technology changes sensibilities way faster and way more effectively than culture does. So culture has, uh, we need to supplement Hegel's uh, saying that art is dead. Art is now dead in a different sense again. So for Hegel, art was dead as a, a kind of as an aiming at the absolute, which he equated with religious absolute, right? Um, I think now art has ceased to be an opening of 
sensibility to newness, and I think technology does that. So, so art maybe is shifting role as it always does. Um, but and I and, and I don't know that we know exactly what what it is or what should be. Uh, but it's definitely in some relation with technology at the moment, I feel. Uh, I don't think it can be, it cannot, I don't think it can, can be otherwise, because uh, whether you work with images or not, I think uh, images are everywhere around us and you cannot not work with them. Even if you, what the, the, the work you do goes against them, it's still in relationship to uh, to them because they are they are everywhere and then there's the question of why make another image in in a situation where we are bombarded with so many images and they're so easily produced right we are all producers of content a podcast is just you know content that you know is is put up there and the more successful it is the more it's successful to draw eyes and ears for advertisers with, right so so it's uh, it's it's a very complicated uh, but interesting and problematic and uh, worth paying attention to uh, entanglement, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because I feel like uh, no matter where art goes, it's like this fractal that's happening. And in between these two branches is always going to be a space for another branch. Um, you know, people say, like, the comment that art is dead, I feel like that maybe for the moment, but then something else is going to sprout off of the branches that happen, and then in between there, something else is going to happen. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the technology and human, like art, art is like a reflection of human consciousness, and now also artificial intelligence. Um, but it's still like, no matter tech, what technology is happening, there's still the consciousness to play with it and aim it in a direction. And to just like keep on tinkering, which... Yeah, yeah. And you know, the avant-garde were focusing on the kind of the novelty that can be brought outside of the existing patterns, right? So it's like totally new practices, which were made easy uh, by technological advances because with a new medium, there is a new form of art possible. So it's kind of mechanically but then there's also the small infinite that you're talking about. So between two options or, you know, even within one kind of work, uh, right, there are still an infinity of possibilities still open, right? You know, for someone to do totally anachronistic kind of art or painting, right? You can still do uh, sort of French academist if, you, if you're into that, right? Uh, stuff that's different from what Poussin and all, all of them did, you know. So, so there's that small infinite, the, the uh, small variations of a certain kind of work, and then there's new forms of artwork uh, possible, and that's also an, an, an infinity. Uh, but yes, I do feel that that second category is in relationship to technology now. There's no other way, because, right. because technology changes so fast, and, and our uh, uh, group, society-wide sensibilities are shifting with that no matter what right? um, yeah and there is an aspect of lamentation in that uh, I'm not I'm not hiding that fact because um, I do feel that a lot of um, a lot of the technology that we are in relationship comes to us in time-based uh, forms right uh, film video uh, that have this component 
um, where you have to lend them the time of your consciousness. Right? When you read a poem, or when you look at, um, uh, and when you have an art experience, you can daydream in the middle of it. Right? You read a line in a poem, daydream for half an hour, return to the second line, right? You decide on the rhythm of it. But um, with, uh, with a lot of the way um, images are delivered to us in time-based uh, ways, you have to give it your current uh, state of the consciousness to even go with it, to follow the story, whatever that is, right? Um, and um, so when, when I see my students uh, basically painting along or drawing along and watching their uh, Netflix episode at the same time, uh, I do have a problem, right? <laughs> because because uh, obviously they're they are hopping back and forth, right? You, you cannot not, if, if you are to follow the Netflix, right? You have to lend it your time. And that's consciousness that's not available for the work. So, so it's... Uh, Maybe that situation illustrates the kind of struggle. <laughs> I don't know. All right. I, I'm sure nobody in the room has ever done that. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like that. Um, okay. Question three. Now, this is advice. Um, I want you to give me advice. Just kidding. What for, for aspiring creatives, and this is yeah. creatives with a capital C, this is all backgrounds, yeah. art, traditional art, but all forms of creativity and art. What would you say is the most important thing to focus on? Well, that's a, that's a hard one. Because it, well, I guess to focus on something, you need your attention available to you. Uh, so I think that's that's the that's the first thing you need to cultivate that ability to uh, uh, to stay focused. Um, I think I think that that is a uh, struggle for me because uh, I think formatively in terms of my education um, I'm interested in different things. Right? And and but but to make art, for example. Uh, you have to be able to focus on one thing for extended periods of time, and uh, yeah, I think I think that's that's important, and that's a, an ability that's constantly challenged by the plethora of entertainment options available. I I see it most acutely in in my kid who's younger than than the, obviously than the university student age, uh, where you know if there is any moment that's free. Uh, he has to be entertained, and entertainment is available, uh, you know, on 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 any uh, screen. Uh, so, um, and and I think that's a, a habit of uh, of basically not cultivating the attention that uh, that that you need. So I think, yeah, I hate to sound like a yoga instructor, but I think yeah, cultivating one's well, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is something to it. I think uh, to to be able to to own your attention, to to give it to what uh, you think is important, and not to let it constantly be uh, taken by the next thing, by the next thing, by the next thing. And in this sense, I'm against curiosity. <laughs> I, I know it. It sounds like a like a uh, like a bad thing to say in an in an art school, right? Um, 
but uh, yeah, one has to have the ability to uh, uh, to focus, and and that allows you to engage in a long-term project. The longest one of which is the arc of your life. You you need to decide what the shape of that will be, and kind of look at it backwards and and see where you should be at the moment, and and, and so on. Um, but um, yeah, I think that's uh, being challenged right now, and it, I'm being challenged uh, by it too, because I am equally tempted to watch Netflix all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like infinite energies trying to vie for your attention always, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and then there's the things that are beneficial for your artistic growth over time. And there's lots of different things you can do, but there's like positive directions to go, and then. I guess less positive. You can't really call it negative because maybe you'll be inspired by something or learn something. But um, yeah, that like healthy balance is really important. Yeah, uh, and I think we were talking about this even years ago uh, in Italy. Um, the importance of being consciously curating the universe of images and ideas that you you own. In, in your memory, in a, in a sense, right? Because otherwise, that space will be occupied by things and images and that come at you randomly. But as an artist, you need to cultivate that actively. Um, and, and this is the extent to which I think um, uh, both historical but also contemporary, so both vertical uh, awareness of art that has happened before you, but also horizontal art that's happening around you and different kinds of art is, 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 is important. But it, it has to be a conscious, a conscious effort. And obviously we are doing it equally because at least that horizontal uh, stuff is constantly changing. So even us uh, professors, we were constantly um, making an effort in that in that sense, so it doesn't, it doesn't stop. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't have to do it as much if I were simply an artist and not an educator. But yeah, I have to do it. Yeah, and I enjoy doing it, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> uh, all right, question four. This is the big one, and you've already kind of gone into it. But uh, let's get a solid definition of art from Marius. Okay, well, this is the one that's the easiest because uh, I don't have one. And, uh, and I, I think I kind of announced it at, at the beginning, but if anyone does, uh, I'm interested. Uh, I'm interested to hear. Yeah. That sounds like a cop out. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I don't think it is. I think it's precisely that kind of uh, human activity that refused specialization. Uh, and, and so I'm giving you an evolutionary answer. You know, I'm a Darwinist now uh, for, <laughs> for, for a minute or two, right? That, that yeah, many other pract uh, human uh, practices have specialized, uh, but, but this is where we are still allowed to be, to be just a full person. And, and this is the kind of space that every culture still maintains for some members, lucky members uh, like us, right, to act as if we are free. I don't think we can be free, but we are allowed to act as if we are free of other concerns. I don't think we are, to be frank, right? There's always a entanglement with other aspects. But, but um, so, so I think in the sense there is an aspect of responsibility that, that we have as artists. We are 
in a form, we are in a sense uh, super lucky and of course what's the, the French word artiste modi, like uh, cursed by, by this uh, freedom because yeah, freedom is harrowing. Nobody wants freedom. Everybody wants to know what to do. They want to know what to feel, what to desire, right? Part of what art does is telling one what to desire, right? And then fulfilling or not, playing with that desire in the work itself, right? Um, so, um, yeah, in that sense, that freedom is also a burden, yeah. Okay, is, is that better? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that worked out better, nice. Um, okay, cool. So this part of the podcast is where I thank my guest for making time and space to be on the podcast. Um, you've been you an awesome me. influence in my life. And uh, I was telling, I was talking with Ryan the other day. He's got a YouTube channel and we did an interview and um, I was saying that I've been thinking about it and, and like kind of thinking about our relationship in my art and in the, the shaping of my art. And I feel like... Um, as an instructor, like this relationship, it's almost like um, like jujitsu partners. <laughs> and I feel like every semester I, I came back and you're like, oh, here we go again, okay. So, and then, you know, I would bring my understanding and sensibilities and then I'd come in and I'd try to swoop your leg and you'd just like flip me upside down and go, yeah, but have you considered that? And, <laughs> and, uh, and it was great. And so it was always uh, kind of like, pushing me along and challenging me in, in a healthy way. And I feel like one thing that you're really talented at is managing egos and understandings and like people. Um, kind of in a similar that, way. That's that, only like, true with, with students. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really bad in the family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I doubt it. Yeah. But, well, but it's almost like uh, the way that like an NBA coach needs to, they don't need to teach the basics, they need to teach, they need to manage the, the, under, the, the psychologies and the philosophies, and um, that was one thing that you did really well, so, so big well, cheers thank to you. you. I'm not sure, but thank you, thank yeah. you, and thanks for having me. Oh yeah, this is great, um, and thanks to CSU for doing this, you guys are awesome, it's so, so great to be back at, you know, my old stomping grounds. Um, why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you and connect with your artwork? Uh, I still have an old-fashioned website, mariuslehenne.net, and, and I do have an Instagram, and it's mariuslehenne, so you can find me pretty easily. Yeah. Cool. And now, I, Thor and I also started a curatorial project together, and it's called Dinghy Rig. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Perfect. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes, too, so yeah. that people can check it out. Um, okay, we're going to take an intermission, a little five-minute intermission, but before we go... We need some off-the-cuff wisdom from you. <laughs> Something real deep. Oh. No pressure. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is hard. Okay, uh, maybe uh, my, my negative self, uh, uh, since I tested negative for COVID recently, I had COVID and I, uh, again, I'm against wisdom. I think wisdom is promiscuous. <laughs> right, I think uh, uh, I think of wisdom as as knowing what to say in the right situation. Right, um, so you know someone is trying something. Right, and and where I come from, we say something like uh, I don't know, 
don't piss against the wind, right? So don't go against the flow or whatever, right? But then the same person can be told something like, uh, well, those who don't try don't succeed, right? So wisdom is, to me, this promiscuous uh, thing. Uh, knowledge, we have a problem with that also because we know that knowledge has a history. So even scientific knowledge, right, which is the highest form of knowledge, we all kind of uh, uh, tend to agree with instinctively, right, uh, has a history. So we know that it's going to be superseded by better understanding. So that is, again, something problematic. So then what do we have? Well, I am happy with what we have in art, which is kind of a record of how we uh, feel in the broader sense, both uh, uh, emotionally but also intellectually about everything that happens. Right? So there you have it. <laughs> Cool, so we're going to take a little five-minute break. Come on back when you're ready. <laughs> Part two is brought to you by Steady State Roasting in Carlsbad, California. This place is my favorite coffee shop on the West Coast, and the coffee is the best. They roast all their own coffees from around the world and have a roasting collective for the local coffee-making community. Check them out in the village of Carlsbad or order their beans online at SteadyStateRoasting.com. But some of these things are hard to talk about uh, beca precisely because they are not clear and they can never be clear. Right. right? I think in, in, in a way, whatever art is after is a sort of clarification of the background. What is actually moving us yeah. in, in all senses of the word. Uh, and to the extent to which you bring it in focus, it's not a background that drives you anymore. It's now it's a figure. It's outside of you, right? So, so you you haven't uh, figured out what the background is because you turned it into a figure. So it constantly recedes in a way. So uh, I, I I don't think it's if 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 you were to define art as that kind of search, I don't think it can ever achieve its goal. Yeah, uh, but the exercise is still meaningful. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it's enough. It's okay. I'm not religious at all, but it's a form of prayer. But to be honest, uh, brushing our teeth is a form of prayer too, right? Yeah, and we do it regularly. At beyond a certain point, we do it thoughtlessly. Right? So, so yeah, like I don't a know practice. What I don't know what like I'm a saying. meditation almost, or like yeah. Yeah, it, or or like a like a like a habit. Uh, you, you you forget why you do it, and I think oftentimes when in art you forget why. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of it. Yeah. Well, you like lose yourself in it because I mean, what I'm imagining is okay. You have this background scene, the environment, the culture, the society, the time, whatever, and then the artist is this thing that's like of that, but also. Uh, extracting themselves from it slightly and then pulling elements from the background and then filtering it through into a new thing yeah. and then that thing is a reflection of the background but it's also its own thing yeah I, I agree that if we can take out from that the implicit aspect of representation, that art represents some sort of background of practices. I don't think it 
can do that precisely because because I feel that that background recedes constantly so but the practice of art in general like if you if, if instead of looking at artworks you look at the artistic practice then then yes then probably the artistic practice does all, all, all of that yeah but artworks alone uh, uh, yeah I, I don't think they represent in the way we normally think they represent yeah you know um, which is I, funny because that's what a gallery is and that's what a museum is is it's it's the artworks yeah themselves yeah. and so you're like looking at that but it's not actually it's like a it's reflection of it's an aftermath of the practice in a sense and in, in, in that respect I feel that it's more important f uh, for us to cultivate the practices than um, the artworks themselves, right? I think the artworks are important as kind of landmarks, so to say, but the practices need to constantly be uh, supported and renewed and uh, cultivated. You know, um, like, for, like in, in, in places like Japan, they have forms of it, in, in, at least in Eastern Europe, but in Japan they have it very clear. They declare certain craftsmen and artists national treasure, and then they endow them with uh, not much, but enough for them to continue to have a studio of some sort, to make whatever, uh, to cast iron in a certain traditional way, to make ceramics in a certain way, to make uh, music in a certain way, right? And, and cultivate those, those practices. Okay, uh, if this could be extended to contemporary art, <laughs> so, but, but contemporary art is probably way more abrasive to the current context, even in Japan. Yeah, I know. So yeah, the, 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 the practice is essential. And uh, when, when maybe the word practice itself includes that notion of art as a social circuit, which, which I guess the, the, the notion of that yeah, comes from Joseph Boyce. In, in that sense, way more interesting to me than say someone like uh, Andy Warhol, respect for Andy Warhol. Uh, but his 15 minutes of fame kind of equates art or artistic practice with an effort to gain notoriety or um, entertain. Entertainers have their 15 minutes of fame, fame but you know, I, don't, I don't think uh, kind of artistic value depends on that. Yeah. Uh, and, and the fact that someone has gotten it means nothing, you know. <laughs> yeah. It, in in what I think of as artistic practice. Yeah, it's funny, My, uh, I've gone, I've been sort of obsessed with Andy Warhol and his practice at times, and then also um, just kind of disillusioned, or, or I've just lost, lost the like infatuation with it as I've learned more about it. But with that, I've, I've gone from having him on a pedestal to much more like feeling like compassion for the human that was and I just feel like he was he was really uh, kind of like empty in his life in a lot of ways and he was and he was obsessed with the fame thing and and the the minimizing and then the mass production of, that was yeah. happening in the US and and then he sort of turned his life into that and yeah and it, it, I'm not I'm not that interested in bashing uh, uh, Andy Warhol because I think that's one way of making art. Uh, I, I was referring strictly to what he said about 
you know, the 50 minutes of fame. And no, and I'm definitely yeah. not bashing yeah. him. But you have to remember that in his case, he came from a background in design. Right. And, and uh, design had a certain formalism to it that uh, uh, was formative for, for him. So no wonder that's what he brought to, to the art. And I think it was interesting and the time frame was perfect because so much design was making its way into culture broadly that using it to critique the, the kind of commercial product, to, to raise these philosophical questions of what, how is an art object different from a commercial, commercially made uh, product, right? And opened up all sorts of practices uh, and, and it influenced people like even conceptualists who all of a sudden, yeah, uh, felt validated in their using industrial processes to make, to make art. Right? So yeah, there are interesting things uh, that Warhol did and we shouldn't invalidate his practice, the type of specific practice that, yeah, it's, it's just the, the, the philosophy of what the artistic practice is, in, is very contrastful, uh, Joseph Boyce and, and um, Andy, Andy Warhol. Um, there's this uh, French uh, author who uh, does a very good uh, kind of parallel and contrast between the two. Uh, his name is Bernard Stiegler. He passed away recently, sadly. But uh, he wrote a book called, uh, actually, a two-volume uh, book called Symbolic Misery, um, and he does a nice job uh, talking about the two, uh, Warhol and uh, Boyce. I'm curious about your thoughts on, uh, like, judgment of art and like like a value judgment good, bad, quality, like garbage, contemporary yeah, art? I think, I think, yeah, I don't know how to, uh, in, uh, so my, my the background as an economist teaches me one thing that um, uh, uh, quantity is easy to measure, right? Uh, quality has certain quantitative aspects that can be turned into measurements. But when, when, if, if when you talk about value, you talk about ranking, that's an obsession um, that comes from um, an obsession with exactitude, right? With precision, with where things stand. And I think as a practice, art is fundamentally opposite to that, right? What, and, and in this, I don't think I'm saying anything new. I kind of agree with the deconstructivists, uh, with Derrida and so on, or, or even with uh, Deleuze. There's only the difference, la différence, right? That uh, one's art is different from someone else's, from someone else's, and, and, and uh, that's, that's what can be said. Um, I think uh, hierarchies and criteria for value, first of all, they morph all the time in art, even to the extent to which they are active, um, but I also don't think they are stable. Um, uh, to say that one artist is better than another, it's, uh, this is uh, nonsense to me. I, I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I like it. And it's kind of it's like what you were talking about earlier with um, like words are abstractions and labels, but like they're just attempts to label and exactly. put little fences around reality. Yep. And reality 
is it, it doesn't allow for that. But this is also a sort of this is a uh, this attitude towards the world that is expressed in in our need to quantify to measure. Uh, uh, this is deeply ingrained, um, and and uh, I think it's manifest in. Uh, uh, attitudes like uh, Descartes, right? uh, th this French philosopher who uh, kind of uh, talks about uh, you know the world in terms of subjects. I am a thinking thing, I'm a subject, and the world of objects, extended things, uh, and things that have an extension can be measured, right? But the presupposition of that is that subjects are this kind of uh, cabinets, closed uh, islands of, of consciousness over and against a world of objects, right? And, and you can see how, you know, even with my gesture, I just turned everyone around me into objects, right? So it, it's easy to, to then mistake uh, life for, for, for object. And, and at the level of life experience, and, uh, uh, there is no separation. Uh, to some extent, we are all each other in the room because we are together, right? I am not here over, you know, because I don't need to be an I unless I am in relation to something else, right? So, um, uh, in, um, yeah, in, uh, I don't know where I was going with this. Uh, but uh, this, this separate, this need for exactitude, this need for measurement, right? It's not naturally, it's, it's a culturally acquired habit. And, and I think to some extent in, in art, we are trying to shake it off. It's very hard to shake it off, right? And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is like a, it's an obsession or, or just sort of a thing. Like, I, maybe it's part of just the way that the human mind is sort of uh, is wired to to almost to like sleep better at night if you know that the farm is taken care of and that the chickens are in their coop and that the horses are in their pen and uh, then you can be like okay good everything is where it should be and and maybe that's part of the like the yoga of art and art making is is like becoming comfortable with the discomfort of not being able to define things sharply and categorize yeah. things as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't there a type of meditation where you keep going up that, you know, you breathe, therefore you are connected with the air around you, but the air around you is the air that, you know, the trees throw back at you, so or at least put some oxygen back into, and therefore you're connected with the tree, and the tree's connected with the ground, and the ground is connected with the whole planet, and the planet is connected with the solar system, and so on, right? So, so you are actually, you are not separable from any of that, right? You're part of this, uh, uh, I don't know, ecosystem, which is its own life form that shapes and morphs and so on. Um, yes, but at the same time, this need for exactitude is also a cultural, uh, culturally acquired. It's not something that we have to do or that we do naturally. Naturally, we, we operate by estimation. Right, um, we estimate uh, the distance between each other, the, the emotional distance, the the situation as a whole, right? And I think that's primordial, and a scientific attitude 
uh, where measurement has a place, right, or a technological attitude where measurement, exact measurements have a specific role, that's secondary. But we operate now as if that's primary and, and, and having a fully rounded uh, existence in, in which things are tangled and uh, that's parasitic and problematic and we need to disentangle it. I don't think that's possible. I think we, we are this complex thing and one of the things we do is measure and uh, acquire knowledge in this very conscious way and we know it's going to be superseded by better knowledge and so on. Uh, but we nevertheless consider the effort important. So that's a subset of something much broader that's foundational. And I think, in, in a way, since we're talking about art here, I think art peaks indirectly or allows some sort of an echo of that to play and not just the exactitude of measurements or the scientific attitude. Uh, science is okay, scientism, the belief that science actually shows us things as they really are, I think that's a problem. Uh, and, and again, for the same reason I mentioned earlier, like the science itself has a history, so we know Newton was wrong. You know? uh, nevertheless, his equations are still useful for describing the movement of big objects, heavy objects, right? But really, the world is not like that. Einstein fixed some of it, right? And then Einstein is obsolete now, right? Because the Copenhagen interpretation was accepted and it took him eight years to accept that Niels Bohr had a better idea. So even very smart, so I'm not trying to say that he was stupid, but, but on, on the contrary that uh, science has a history and we are surely gonna get a better understanding of how things really are, but never final. I don't think it's gonna be final. Um, so, so we know that those things are part of, of what type of a creature we are, a creature who can ask certain questions, but what's primordial is not that exactitude, the measurement. What's primordial, I think, is, is much more, for lack of a better word, I'm going to use a yoga term, holistic. Yeah. <laughs> right? No? I, yeah. I think it, it, it works. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking that uh, the... There's like two op opposing forces. Uh, there's like the primordial agent of chaos and, mm -hmm. and like interplay and interflow. And meaninglessness, and total me meaninglessness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the desire for humans mm -hmm. to make sense, make meaning, but also um, I think in, in like a culture and society, there's this push to standardize so that we can communicate and make sense of things. And so that's, you know, language and, and different things in well, cultures, the attempt yeah. to do that. So well, you're, these are pushing against each other. Yes. And, and in more ways than one. For, because language, for example, yeah, you, you describe it in its kind of maybe negative or limiting aspects. But it also makes the world visible, right? It makes, makes world in a way, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I do this with my, with my students. Uh, I, I, so, so I asked them to, uh, to say, draw something that plays on the uh, positive space versus negative space. And they do it. No questions asked. They just do it. Right? And then when they are done, I'm, I'm asking them, okay, so now 
look at whatever, the room, the still life, whatever, and point to me at what you chose as, as, negative, as empty space. And they start pointing, you know. And, and then they realize that well, they're actually pointing at objects, right? That, that there is n nothing that you can point to that doesn't have a word, right? So in a sense, you're not pointing at something empty, you're pointing, at, so background is a decision, except we're so, we so used to taking that decision kind of automatically that uh, we don't notice that what is a figure and what is a background, uh, it's, it's, it's our decision, it's our imposition into reality. The reality is continuous, but we constantly slice it you know, into, into parts, right? Uh, yeah. So, lang but and language does the slicing, right? Uh, and and that's why I think broken language turns into poetry very easily. I think uh, quote unquote broken visuals turn into art, right? Because uh, because in in a straight sense, they 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 work in that trivial way, right? But if you play with it just enough, they begin to peek at this at these issues, right? The the uh, the fact that yeah, language is not straightforward, or or as Mel Bachner puts it in some of his conceptual paintings, language is not transparent. To some extent, language says what it means, but to some extent, it does its own thing as language, it has its own consistency as a medium. Just like I don't know, for a potter, clay has its own consistency, and to some extent, the potter does what he or she wants, but to some extent. He, he or she can only do what the clay allows them to, right? So, so, so there is um, there is always that complication with with language. Language is a beast, <laughs> and, and we we are all, both inside of it and outside of it at the same time. And uh, speaking of uh, uh, going abroad and, and studying abroad, and the, you know, um, it becomes more obvious in those situations that you are both inside and outside of language when you when you are playing with multiple languages at the same time and maybe you're not at home in in all of them equally right and, and that becomes uh, overt yeah. that's a really cool effect of leaving your surroundings whether it's a study abroad trip uh, a vacation or whatever going across the street to a different culture um, or abandoning your way of painting yep. for a new one yeah yeah and then everything it's almost like like you go normally you're topside above the water and then all of a sudden you dive down and you're looking up and you see that the surface of the water is actually reflective in a different way than you ever realized mm -hmm. but it's it's always been there and so it it like completely shifts your perspective on everything you see everything from another angle and dimension and um, can you tell his surfing every day? <laughs> <laughs> you dive under the water, yeah. you yeah. catch the wave, it's great. But the beauty of it is that all the struggle is at the surface, right? It's in between, and, and the awareness of the, of, the, uh, of the two media, or whatever, uh, two or multiple strata constantly moving against each other, right? Yeah. Right? It's, and and you, you leap out, you leap in, so, right? Uh, for the dolphin, getting into air is leaping out of its element. For you, going under, right? It's, uh, it's a constant uh, uh, dialectic. And I think there's something like, something of that surface, 
I don't know, something about art that operates like that surface between things, right? Uh, it seems to be clear when you look at it as the waving of the sea, but then either both in its depth and the sky and its uh, height or whatever, they're both in kind of infinite, yeah. right? Uh, but but uh, yeah, it, for us, uh, all all the struggle is at the surface. Right? Yeah, it's like a, a swimmer swims to stay alive, right? I think. And and maybe this is a, a way to define art in a metaphoric sense. It's it's yeah that effort of staying on the surface, staying with the surface, with the way things appear versus the way things are. Uh, yeah. I don't know. No, there's a lot there. Um, my friend who's an architect went to CSU. Uh, he was on the podcast, and he said that what he's most interested in is uh, that space of the edge condition where two things come together, and then that line, and like that's the friction point. That's where the most dynamic action is going to happen because it's the meeting of two mm -hmm. different solids, or, or you know, two different, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and it's also, yeah, yeah, in mathematics there's this concept of hyperplane, right? It's a, uh, uh, imagine for two spheres touching in one point, the hyperplane would be the, any flat plane that separates them. So I think concepts operate like that, you know, they are a two-dimensional thing of a multi-dimension relationship, right? So they are always lacking in... In you, to the extent to which they are clear, they separate between this and that, but they lack in the uh, fine grain, uh, and they are even have fewer dimension than what they are referring to, right? Uh, I, I don't know that I make any sense. <laughs> no, I, I mean that. I was just thinking. I, my mind did wander in that moment. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but, but what it was not wandering to is that. Uh, it's really interesting that there is this natural like duality that happens in a lot of situations like yin and yang is a representation of that but um, things kind of like filter into these like these opposing forces naturally and which actually brings us back to your artwork and what they were talking about <laughs> on your website yeah the well right the, the, there's well yeah I do think that in the work I do bring things into tension whether consciously or uh, intuitively, but yeah. Uh, um, so, so yes, there, there is that kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, yin and yang, but, but there is a, a, a sort of a relationship going on. And sometimes it's not two, two parts relationship, but multi-part relationship. Uh, even even in, in my work, sometimes I use more than two images layered. And if it doesn't work, I keep going three, four, five, you know, yeah, yeah until until something something happens. Mm. Now, one thing that we talked about earlier at lunch that we can't forget is to talk about Paolo. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> so in while while in Italy, um, Taylor and his group of students were studying art history with Paolo Barocchieri, who. Uh, who taught art history here in Colorado and then started the study abroad program and, and was hosting. I didn't know that. Wow. Oh, uh, Paolo used to be uh, in the summer 
uh, he would, uh, when he was free from the university, he used to be a guide, a rock climbing guide on Long's Peak. Ah. So he would take tourists on the on the uh, on the steep side of Long's Peak to climb. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, well, you remember because when you were there, we did on one day we did rappelling. He taught people how to uh, rappel down from the building at Santa Clara. You don't remember? You were not there that <laughs> day. You didn't do, do it. No. Oh. That sounds awesome. You didn't fly with him. He had a two-seater plane. Had two actually. Two two-seater small planes. Yeah. And and I think I think a number of students flew with him. I flew with him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a very interesting character. He but was, but he was, he was so gifted as a teacher, right? He was so quintessentially Italian, like uh, just his like passion and his the way that he would talk about these paintings that are so amazing and like he just had the look and the feel and the vibe and was and it was cool. He really connected. Like we had a special group of students. Like you you mentioned this and then he really connected to us and we connected to him and oh. we even challenged him a little bit and he like took a uh, time out of his schedule to take us to this one specific place to see yeah. a special painting. And well, like any good uh, teacher, he, he knew that a little bit of resistance to teaching is good, right? Because you, you're not going to accept everything just because it's being said, but you are going to try it, look at it one way, the other way, and, until you are persuaded, if you are persuaded. So what, what your group was, argue, if I remember correctly, your group was arguing with him about Piero della Francesca. Uh, and so this is uh, kind of uh, early Renaissance. He, he's one of those uh, uh, all full-rounded humanists who does painting, but he writes treatises on mathematics and perspective and uh, uh, all sorts of things. So, so he rationalizes his compositions according to all sorts of uh, geometries that uh, um, uh, relate to his uh, formal studies of both mathematical but also linear perspective and all that stuff. And I think Paolo was making an argument at some point that uh, look at the dynamic of this composition or that composition in Piero della Francesca and of course these guys were 21st century kids and they were looking at that oh you call that dynamic <laughs> I don't think so and they were having a debate and uh, it, it, it went oh, I think it went for more than one day and on one day they were talking about um, the resurrection of Christ uh, which is a Piero della Francesca painting that Huxley called the, the greatest artwork in the history of mankind, this and that, and, and uh, th there was some resistance from the students, right? Uh, yeah, but I, we were not sure. And Paolo said, okay, enough, close your books, uh, we are booking the bus, we are going to San Sepolcro to see the actual painting. So, it, and it was not even far away, right? San Sepolcro was, by bus, was an hour and a half away. We spent the rest of the day in San Sepolcro. Uh, he took us to lunch or dinner. Uh, we 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 were in the uh, in the museum where the we, we spent a lot of time in front of that uh, Piero della Francesca. Uh, the the debate was settled by the painting itself, not by anyone in particular, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was one of the many stories. Uh, the the. Paolo stories um, that 
uh, were so moving. I, I felt like, you know, I was getting a lot myself from, from interacting with Paolo and from listening to all the lectures that he was delivering to, um, to my students. Uh, yeah, I know, I miss Paolo. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Big love to Paolo. I know. He was a good guy. Uh, well, he still is. He I still think he is. still is. With, he's still with us, and I think with so many others. Uh, uh, I think there is a there is a Facebook page at least dedicated to his memory, uh, and where, where all all his former students. Uh, well, and it's it's amazing to see that he actually we knew it when we were there, right? But to see that uh, uh, people remember him, I think that's moving. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, he made an impression. Yeah. Um, well, great. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No. I'm hungry. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to call this a win. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This was great. Um, cheers, everybody. Thanks for coming all the way here to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it made it easier on me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were lucky enough that things lined up, the stars yeah. lined up. So yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. That's a wrap, guys. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>my friends was my interview with Marius Lahini my old professor oh gosh this was so cool this was so cool um, for me to get to go back to Colorado State and cruise around the campus and hang out in the art department and get to walk around you know the the drawing wing with with Marius and check out like where I spent so much time and uh, really like dove in and developed myself as an artist with Marius's help. Uh, and then, you know, we walked around and we went to the painting department. Just so many memories of amazing times and just an amazing time in my life. Was, uh, it was really cool. It was a really cool experience. And then uh, I'm really appreciative to the art department at CSU. Um, you know, like, Cyan, you were just a, a huge help, and, um, and it was just like, you know, they just like gave me the art department, or the, uh, the Hatton Gallery there, and, uh, gave that to us, and like, gave us all the support that we needed, audiovisual, um, you know, invited the students to come, invited the faculty to come, like, I felt very, um, well taken care of and it was it was just really cool so i'm very appreciative and uh man marius what a great time that guy is so cool and we just had a blast like you know we went to his i went and met up with him at the art studio beforehand and that was cool because it was like getting to know him again but now as like i'm not a student anymore i'm like an adult i'm a professional artist now it's like that was really cool and to get to see his art and get uh, his explanation on everything and then and then we went out to lunch and that was like I feel like that was where we like reconnected as friends and uh, and then yeah the interview was just so cool and it's neat like from my perspective 
uh, you know, in the world of like making a life and a profession as an artist. And then to go back to academia and it's like, it's like the essence of it, like where it all started and like what like the philosophical undertones and like uh, structure to me as an artist and um, to art in general. And uh, yeah, it was, it was just so cool. And, you know, I love it. I love it. It's like back to, it was like a full circle moment. And I gotta say this, like this podcast is, I'm just loving this more and more as time goes on. And uh, I appreciate you listening in and uh, following along. Uh, Again, I always hope that you're getting a lot out of this too. But yeah, like the the art, the podcast is like its own piece of art that I'm working on and uh, like continuously through time. And it's developing so interestingly and like more and more little offshoots and ideas just keep popping up and like um yeah i just feel like the the podcast itself is such an example of what art is and what it can be and like the organic process of it and um yeah it's awesome so thanks to everybody for listening and uh See you next time. Cheers. So that's it. That's the Art and Life podcast. Thank you again for tuning in and listening. Hope this is inspiring your life and your work in awesome ways. If you want to check out my art, and my offerings like fine art prints and cool merchandise with my art on it, jump over to my website. It's taylorgallegosart.com. And you can also follow me and connect with me on Instagram and LinkedIn. So thanks. Till next time.